is Star Wars Action News, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Action News. This is Marjorie. And this is Arnie. And welcome back. It's been a little while, but we are here to bring you a big show looking at basically the state of Star Wars collecting. As I usually say after a pause, the show hasn't been going on. My collecting certainly has. Mm-hmm. It certainly has, yes. Mostly by mail order these days. There is very little in stores anymore, and if there is something that isn't Grogu, it's really old. And that's going to be one of the topics we talk about as we bring together the Star Wars Action News team and friends to discuss all things Star Wars. So joining us now is a group of experienced and professional podcasters. First, we have Andrew joining us, who's been a Star Wars action news contributor, reporter, and video editor for many, many years. Hey, everybody. Uh, Andrew here, and I am uh, typically a Hot Toys addict, but now I have to say I am a recovering Hot Toys addict. Oh, interesting. Uh, that That's quite the mic drop there. <laughs> we might have to ask about that. Yes, we'll circle back to that one. Then we have... Former Republic Forces Radio Network host and producer, Jonathan. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. Uh, interested in hearing everybody's opinions on the state of collecting. Then Marvelicious Toys host du jour, Justin. Du jour? That's kind of French, man. That's awesome. It's just of the day, Justin. Don't get too excited. Oh, We're changing damn. it tomorrow. All right. <laughs> hey, everybody. How's it going? Host of Thrill of the Hunt podcast, Chris. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here and, and talking Star Wars again. So let's start. Andrew, are you collecting less since we last talked to you? What, what's going on there? Uh, I would I mean, technically, yes, I'm collecting less. Um, I, I had to realize that I had a problem. Uh, and that was the first step. And uh, I have stopped pre-ordering every single star wars hot toys that came out um it just became an issue of of two things space and money um as uh other collecting avenues uh prices increased which i'm sure we'll get into um i had to take a look at what i was spending my collecting dollars on and decided that uh hot toys while always a a cool uh passion of mine um it takes a, a back seat uh next to some of the other things that i'm collecting so i had to i had to basically um make the hard choice i canceled a whole bunch of pre-orders that i had and um now i'm only collecting hot toys when i feel that it's something that i really want for the collection since i made that that choice the only things that have come up are some of the exclusives um, I, I'm still a sucker for the word exclusive. And so, uh, I've got those on, on order. Um, and other than that, yeah, I'm still collecting, um, Hasbro and Lego and the occasional other knickknack that comes my way. Do you know, if I cut out the knickknacks, I could afford the hot toys. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I mean, the sheer amount of star Wars media that's mm. been produced in the last five years for them to draw from, it had to hit a point where there's just nobody who can be all in on Star Wars Hot Toys. 
right. Yeah, and that's what it, it became like when I when I started collecting hot toys, you know, I had a spreadsheet to track all my pre-orders and I'd have to go back and look, but I decided to do a chart to see the trends in how many figures came out a year. And it was definitely an increasing amount uh, over time. Uh, and the amount that I was spending on a monthly basis on hot toys was increasing. So I, I used that as evidence that I needed to, to back off significantly. Andrew, can I ask you a question? You absolutely can. Um, some of the things I've never collected hot toys, but some of the stuff I saw online is that people were feeling that the production versions of things were not living up to the prototype versions. Did you find that? And did that impact any of your decision on uh, backing it, off? It hasn't. I think I know what you're talking about. I saw some of that too. And I think like most of the stuff that I saw on that leaned more towards some of the sideshow figures, not necessarily hot toy specific. The stuff that I saw was on the Clone Wars figures that Sideshow put out. I personally didn't see any of that with the stuff that I've got. Um, now that said, several of the figures that I got towards the end of my addiction are still in the box because I don't have space to put them out at this time. So it's possible that towards the end of, of that run, um, they started to, to drop off in quality, but I personally didn't see that. You mentioned Hasbro, and I think that's a little bit more universal for us. I personally have also stepped away from Star Wars Hot Toys due to cost reasons and frequency reasons, keeping for the very special ones that come out and trying not to be quite so hyped. But you said that Hasbro, you kind of implied Hasbro's cost increases were part of the reason you had to back away from Hot Toys. And, and it's not just Hasbro. Um, it's, I mean, let's face it, it's the economy in general right now. Everything is more expensive. Um, and, you know, I've got three kids and those three kids are getting more expensive. And so I had to, you know, make some, make some tough decisions, hot toys or kids. <laughs> which appreciates more in value and which will go for more in 20 years? Well, I'm hoping that um, the investment that I'm putting in my kids will pay off when they need to take care of me in my old age. My hot toys aren't necessarily going to do that for me. Yeah, your hot toys don't choose the home you're in. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one topic I kind of wanted to bring up for the group is pre-orders and longevity of pre-orders. I know that I'm placing pre-orders right now for stuff shipping nine months, 10 months, 11 months now, and not hot toys. I'm used to that with hot toys and anything Sideshow puts out, but stuff from Hasbro, some of the recent reveals that went out on the 1027 live stream and things. So where do you all stand? Are you guys pre-orders or are you wait for it to actually be out? Are you do you shop only in stores? I'm kind of all in on the pre-orders, but pretty much exclusively the vintage collection and retro collection with Hasbro. I've given up on the six-inch line, the Black Series. It was just getting too unruly and too expensive. And even though they say it's going to be six months, nine months, you never know when this stuff is going to show up. And then all of a sudden, your bank account goes, hey, you have no money. and 
understandably, my wife would get somewhat frustrated with that. So I, I kind of back up, but I still have to do the pre-orders because I'm really not seeing them in the stores. It's very hit or miss when I see anything new coming out. Well, Chris is the one with the thrill of the hunt. Chris, you must be hitting stores daily. I, I do still hit stores. I, I mean, at least the stores in my town, you know, multiple times a week. You know, I, I work from home, so I go out on my lunch just to get out of the house and I'll still hit them. But I'm pretty much pre-ordering the stuff I want. I am playing the long game on a lot of stuff a lot more than I used to. Um and then, of course, there's a lot of stuff that I'm just not I'm just not going to get because of price increases, space, um, collecting other lines, that kind of stuff. When we started this game of pre-orders, which I, I want to say it was because of the pandemic. I mean, there were shipping delays, there's production delays and stuff like that. And the, I can see why they were trying to get pre-orders out there while the iron is hot. You know, like if there's some new Mando stuff coming down the line and the show's on now. Yeah, strike while people are excited about it. But man, here we are three years later, and a lot of us are still waiting for some of those things that we pre-ordered however long ago. And I don't know. It's to me, I, I still play the game. If something goes up and I want it, I pre-order it and just kind of forget about it. But it it's definitely taken a little bit of shine off of the excitement. Like if remember the good old days when like we would see something at Comic-Con and be like, yeah, and that'll be on the shelf in three months. And it's like, okay, cool. That's about the right amount of window to keep excitement going for something. But now it's like, oh, yeah, something shows up on my door. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I ordered that in 2019, I think. When did pre-orders start? Because I was thinking back to toy fairs and comic cons I'd covered in years past. And they'd show stuff and say, this is going to be on shelves. And it would go up for order probably the same day it was on the shelf if you were lucky enough to be able to order it online. And those were the days where you had to go to the stores often. Like Chris said, go out at lunch every day. We used to have to do that. But at some point, the worm turned. And I know pre-orders, I think I probably lost track of the exact moment it happened is when I joined that Brian's Toys One of Every Figure Club they used to have, because that was my way of pre-ordering, was just guaranteeing myself one of every figure. And then when they stopped being able to guarantee that, other waves were starting to go up online at Entertainment Earth and things, and then Walmart and Target followed suit. But it was kind of like, you know, the old metaphor of boiling the frog slowly so that the frog doesn't know the temperature is getting hotter. It was kind of like that when all of a sudden Hasbro has us pre-ordering absolutely everything that they're going to put out. And yeah, like Jonathan said, when I go to stores, Lando is there to greet me. And that is about it. <laughs> He's got a friend in my area, Reva. I mean, she's, she's hanging with him. Pre-orders for me started pretty much, I mean, yes, I did the, the one of every figure club for a while. Um, but I think really what changed it for me was uh, Hasbro Pulse. When that site launched, I think I want to say it was like 2015, 2016, something like that. Um, when it changed from Hasbro Toy Shop. Yeah. And so when, when that launched and they came out with the membership for free shipping and all that, it really kind of made it a lot easier for me to say, okay, it's easier for me to pre-order guarantee that I'm going to get the figure than 
to, you know, randomly go out to target uh, and, and find the figure. Um, and especially now that like our options are even more limited. There's no Toys R Us anymore. KB Toys is gone. Like all of the other, the actual toy stores don't exist anymore. So for me, that's the, the main reason why just for, for ease and that guarantee. I will say though, I was just talking to my wife yesterday about how, you know, we used to go on toy runs when we'd have a day off. And now the the toy run has just turned into um, the excitement of a toy run has just turned into the excitement of refresh, 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 click, click, click. Um, and, and it's definitely the excitement is there now, I think, when something is revealed. And then after that, there's nothing really to keep you excited, because like you said, the pre-order window lasts X amount of time. Uh, I will say that I feel like the dates that Hasbro is giving are inflated, and I think they know that they're inflated, but they want to give themselves that cushion um, because of all the shipping stuff that we've had over the last couple of years. And I think that's starting now to kind of even out. Hopefully within the next year, they'll get the, the shipping dates closer to when they'll actually be released. The one thing to mention on that too is, is if you're going to stores, you have such a small window now to find the new stuff because stores are only getting a case or two. They're putting it out and it's gone. So you have to, you have to either be going, you know, multiple times a week, you know, sometimes every day, or, or you just have to be lucky to be able to find stuff in stores. Now, otherwise you go through the aisles and it's the same old stuff that's hanging there. Well, I don't know about you guys, but Marjorie and I have been doing more toy runs than usual lately because it's not a matter of getting the toys. It's a matter of getting the toys in a condition that it doesn't look like a truck ran over them when it comes to Walmart and Target. I know that Amen. I have done many a toy run lately to replace figures, specifically Target and Walmart, and once in a while a return to Amazon, but especially the when we had the plastic still instead of the windowless boxes i know that getting damaged figures just to let listeners in we're all in a text group and chris started a wonderful game of how wrecked is it where he'll send a photo of a box and it's from target or walmart sometimes it's just an envelope and the question is, how wrecked is it in that envelope or in that box? And I play that game many times at home. And yeah, it leads to toy runs, not for first time ob obtaining, but because I still, for the moment, buy one to keep in box or on card. I play the game of needing to find one that isn't crushed. Also, you have to deal with exclusives. You know, so now it seems like every time there's a wave of something coming out, there's a handful of exclusives for Walmart. There's a hand, handful of exclusives for Target all the way down the line. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have dealt with this Target. If you buy something from there and it's, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 months out on the pre-order. Well, they're going to keep sending you emails that you have to you have to accept their delay or they're going to auto cancel on you. So unless you're vigilant about watching your emails and making sure that you're accepting these things, you're going to get pre-orders canceled from Target. So that's an added 
layer of frustration. Is it frustration or is it just like an added layer of excitement? Because it's like, I don't, am I going to get it? I don't know. Am I, do I need to, do I need to confirm that I've, or did I already confirm that I ordered? I don't know. Which one's better? That or the fact that Walmart will A, never update you, but B, never let you update them. You move, you change a credit card. Yeah. That's, a, that's a shame, isn't it? You're just not getting that toy. <laughs> I've called customer service Walmart trying to update a credit card because, you know, in that time from ordering to delivery, the car, I've gotten a new card and the numbers changed and they, they say, oh, just cancel the order and reorder it. Well, I can't because it's a pre-order and it's sold out. Oh, yeah. We're sorry. Click. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's not a way to do business and it frustrates me. I know some people, they let it happen and apparently... Walmart will ship it and then charge you and go, oh, wait a minute, this card didn't go through. Well, you better pay this or we're sending you to collections. I've never had that happen. I have had it happen where, A, I moved. They started shipping everything to my old address, and I had no way to update that. I still owe my home buyers a bouquet of flowers or something to thank them for the amount of packages they received on my behalf in the six months after that they took good ownership of the house. But it was still happening a year later though, because that's how long some of these pre-orders took. I mean, we moved in May of last year and I think finally they're all done, but it took a good year for all the pre-orders to cycle through. I'm just imagining like a smoking the bandit scenario with Arnie. He's paying some some truck driver to get up to Springfield and back within 24 hours with all the toys <laughs> left on the old porch. <laughs> then recently, a whole bunch of Walmart exclusive vintage collection went up for order at Entertainment Earth and Big Bad Toy Store, which is great for me who missed out on some of those figures originally. I was not able to order the Black Bespin Guard, for example. I was only able to get the other, I guess, vaguely Hispanic Bespin Guard. <laughs> I don't mind them doing that. I just wish that like Hasbro could come out and say, this is exclusive at Walmart for six months. And then you're going to be able to get it through fan channels and things like that, because that would take a lot of the stress off. And to be honest, I'd never order from Walmart again. They just don't take customer feedback into account when packaging their stuff. Well, that's why they don't do that, Arnie, because then they wouldn't get any retailers to sign up for exclusives. It does seem like the Walmart stuff is getting fan channel releases after a certain amount of time, but only the Walmart stuff. Yeah, I noticed that with the, the Black Series Clone Wars figures that were impossible to find. And if you got them shipped from Walmart, they were crushed. And, you know, people were buying those for the throwback cards, you know, so <laughs> getting them crushed in an envelope isn't doing anybody any good. Where do you guys stand on the windowless packaging? I mean, I'm so excited that at Comic-Con, the Star Wars team was able to say they're keeping it for vintage collection because otherwise, I mean, I'm just done. The retro collection, I'd be done if it was cardboard and not a plastic bubble. But when it comes to, say, Black Series, if you collect Black Series, how are you feeling about getting pictures of the items on the box instead of getting the item shown to you. For me, that's just another reason to do pre-order as opposed to go to the store to get it. Um, because I, I, 
not that I don't trust my fellow man, but uh, I feel like the windowless packaging really lends. Uh, it, it's more likely that somebody's going to be able to take out accessories, swap out figures, and then return the item um, for me to buy, having no idea what's actually in the box till I leave the store. Um, and then if you know, will I be able to take the the box back to Walmart or Target and say, "Hey, I purchased this, but it's got the wrong figure in it"? Are they going to believe me, or are they going to think that I'm trying to uh, pull one over on them? So, I, for me, that just solidifies the choice to to pre-order versus doing a toy run. Historically, we've had some issues with paint apps and things where. The figures might have an eye on their forehead or something else. And having a window package, you can overlook that one, say, no, that's not what I want. A windowless package, you're really playing Russian roulette with your collecting. They've gotten a lot better with their paint apps ever since they went to the digital printing, or as they call it, photo reel. But I'm pretty sure that that's, you know, digital instead of paying somebody in China just to slop some paint on there and call it an eyeball. The Star Wars line in particular has gotten a lot better with the paint apps, but I think that what, what I'm seeing going to the stores is, I, and I sent a picture to you guys earlier today, you know, those boxes are being opened, accessories are being taken out. And while I like on the surface, the environmental aspect of it, I, I do, and I'm an opener for the record, you know, I open everything uh, or just about everything. So for me, you know, it's not really a, a deal breaker, but I am concerned about figure swapping and that sort of thing. And I've heard a lot of collectors say they're going to open it right there in the aisle and make sure everything's in there before they go to the register. And that makes the problem worse because if there is something missing, they leave it there, whatever. So again, to Andrew's point, I think on those, it's just you're better off pre-ordering. Well, I did a Target pickup order for a figure and went and did the pull up and had them bring it out to me. It's always nice when you can actually find that window of time where it's going to tell you it's in the store and allow you just to do the drive up so you can save a lot of time just doing that. And they brought me out the figure and I don't know what possessed me, but sitting in the car, I'm like, let me look at my figure. It's opened. The person who picked it off the shelf picked one that had been torn open <laughs> And I'm like, okay, so right back in the store, not sure if they'll believe me. I'm like, yeah, your employee just handed me this toy that is in a ripped box. And now I want my money back. And then fortunately in the toy aisle, I don't know why they grabbed me the ripped one. There were two right there in good condition, but it was the first time I've really had to deal with that. I don't, I mean, people could rip open boxes when they had windows on them too, but it seems like the incidents I'm seeing reported ever since going windowless are higher. Yeah. It's just that much easier to take something back to a customer, customer service desk without having to try to like, you know, <laughs> we've seen some crazy swaps online. You know, there's people who take a, take a figure out and put something completely random in and hope the customer service rep doesn't know what it is, but now it's just blind. So you don't know. But my, my bigger thing is, is it's stopping me from buying two of everything because I don't, I no longer need one to keep mint in box because the box is the mint in box. You know what I'm saying? I don't need one to hang on the wall because it's just a picture of the figure. That's, that's half of what I would have spent on Hasbro stuff cut right out of the budget. 
and there does seem to be some debate if the picture the picture of the the digital rendering on the package is actually the same as the figure because i guess there is some instances where some stuff shown for 1027 was shown with pins and then they said no that's going to be pinless yeah or vice I versa yeah i yep. seen in the marvel line somebody reported that the picture was either an old 3d rendering or touched up or something to hide the pins and when they opened the figure it was not pinless so is what's on the front a picture of what you're buying or is what on the front an advertisement and then you find out what you're buying when you open it the thing is let me just throw this out there this isn't unique to toys i mean i remember i bought a receiver one time and I got home and opened it, and it was not the receiver that was supposed to be on the box. I had to go back to Best Buy. They did not believe me, thought I'm the one who swapped the receivers. I remember reading somebody bought a surround sound system, got home. It was paving stones inside there instead of a stereo system. Toasters, blenders, all of these things aren't window boxed. So it's just retail isn't it isn't that kind of the case i mean, I mean that's the question though is is packaging part of the collecting experience and i would say yeah i mean that's kind of what we've been taught to to act like for 30 40 years now and now with, with we, changing it have they been teaching us to do it or have anal retentive children <laughs> who couldn't that's just it it's toy. not yeah it's not the company's not teaching us the the collecting culture has taught us that right like the whole thing of you know is it moc right is it mint on card like that's going to increase the value and when you're young you're thinking oh i need to collect everything mint on card so that when i'm old i can sell all these action figures and you know pay off my kids college debt uh i i think it's it's not necessarily hasbro that's to fault there i think it's just the collecting culture Fair enough, but I will I will say that remember when the vintage collection first started up, they did come in clamshells. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Good point. And Hasbro but did we're... have an ill-fated attempt at selling clamshells back. In yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's more marketing, though. That's that's the company saying, "Oh, the collectors are talking about how they want all their figures mint on cards, so we need to sell these in a clamshell so that." we can increase the price because we can put a clamshell on it and claim it's that much more expensive to do. And it'll get those collectors to buy them because they want them mint on card and it's going to make it feel like they're buying something that's going to appreciate in value. You know who I miss regularly is Daryl DePriest from Hasbro. And if you guys remember, I interviewed him for years, but when Star Wars Action News started, he was the man, had been the man for so long and was the man until he decided to step down from that position. But what his philosophy was, was he wanted to get every figure out there so that everyone could have one of each loose. So if there was a figure that was really hard to get from a different line, he'd make sure that figure got re-released. Now it may be on a different card back, but he wasn't really catering to the mint on card variant collectors. He was catering to the people who want a full collection, want to collect them all. And like back in 78, 82, 85, the same figures would come out on different card backs and 
I know as a child, I just wanted the figure. I didn't care that it had come out on a new card back because I'd have to make a choice, new card back or new figure. These days, it seems like they've kind of changed that where, yeah, they've been able to convince their bosses that even though there's a company-wide ban on plastic and packaging, that we collectors want that plastic so badly that they got an exemption that probably had to go up to the CEO level. Well, you know, and I would assume that, I mean, it, it makes sense because the whole purpose of the vintage collection and the retro collection is to have that look and feel of the original toys that we had growing up. And if those go to, you know, windowless packaging, plasticless packaging, then those lines are going to cease to exist. And I think those are, uh, while Black Series is their bread and butter, I think that those are a significant amount of uh, income for Hasbro. Is Black Series still their bread and butter, though? I'm going to argue that. TVC has been getting a lot of love, and, and rightfully so, because TVC was neglected. But I feel like Black Series has been very hit or miss over the last two or three years. I agree with Chris. Uh, I think the vintage collection, which is really my focus of collecting, has been getting a ton. Of course, most of those seem to be repaints, but... Uh, re-release, I don't know how many ARC Trooper variants uh, I can put on my shelves anymore. But I, I think, I mean, I'm fr I'm on the sidelines, but I don't think that the Black Series is getting the, the focus from Hasbro that it used to. It feels that way. It feels like they're not releasing as many. And when they do, there are so many repaints in the Black Series line, especially. The new sculpts in Black Series are few and far between and seem to be relegated to, hey, Disney has a new show on now, so we're going to have to sculpt some newness just to be these characters. We're going to have to sculpt a new droid to put with Cassian. But that Black Boba Fett is kind of like a kick in the groin to me. That one where they didn't, they didn't even repaint. They didn't paint it at all. We're going to take the mold of the very first Black Series figure we ever did, the first one to ever come out, and we're just going to use black plastic and black cloth on the cape. That one was kind of like, I, I loved it because, you know, they talk so much about paint apps and how much paint apps cost, and I saw so many collectors go, so if there's no paint, shouldn't that figure be cheaper? instead of us paying more for the ones with more paint apps. They got that one and the, the R2-D2 mold that they're finally going to be redoing. They've got their money out of those molds for, for Boba Fett and R2. I think it was Jason at Yak Face said that there were eight different Boba Fetts released with that mold by the time you consider the prototype armor and the you know all the various repaints that they have done to Boba Fett, and yet they were able to find some comic book somewhere. Hey, look, he was in all black. We're gonna call it Boba Fett in disguise. Is that necessarily a bad thing, though? I mean, you know, everybody on this call is of a certain age, right? We've been collecting since day one, right? So then I'm looking at like you know my kids here in another five years they'll probably want to start collecting and they're not going to have a, a chance to get a boba fett so is it that bad that hasbro is able to financially responsibly get a boba fett figure back out on the shelf i don't 
I mean, yes, it doesn't make sense that it is as expensive as everything else, but I don't know how the money works at Hasbro. I, I also find it interesting that at the same time, Hot Toys, going back to that discussion, also released the exact same Black Boba Fett from the comic book as as a figure. So I, I think that there maybe there was some sort of initiative going on with Lucasfilm where they're like, hey, let's try to push this new outfit out. Maybe somebody at Lucasfilm thought it was cool. Um, but I, I I don't personally see a problem with that. And and along the same lines, going back to us asking if Black Series is still their bread and butter, I think that their main line isn't putting out as much, but the sub the sidelines that are that are coming out, the stuff from comic books, um, those have increased, right? We've got a lot of those. Um, a lot of the the gaming greats stuff has definitely increased. They're still putting out a bunch of the archive stuff, re-releasing through the archive line. And those are selling really well. So while I think like they're not putting out a lot of new stuff in the main line of new characters that you see from the movies, the line itself, I feel, is still really healthy. I'm, I'm with you there, that. Andrew. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. And even with their basic waves, I think they're doing a good job of mixing up where they're picking from. I mean, the current wave on shelf now has you know, Endor Leia, and we have an Empire Strikes Back Vader, and we have TV show Obi-Wan, you know, and some of the, some of the Knights, not Knights, just where they, the Inquisitors are out there. So I think, I think they're doing a good job of mixing it up and keeping it fresh. It's just, I, I think it is between the mainline releases and all these different lines, it just feels disparate. You know what I'm saying? It's like, even today, they announced some new stuff from what used to be the EU. I don't know what it's called now, but it's, to me, it's still the EU, you know, because we're getting the Bastilla Sean and Darth Malak and stuff like that coming out in those those sublines, which is awesome. Both of those are going to be completely new sculpts. I think those two are actually in the main line. Excellent. And just a reminder, those went up for order November 1st. To the point that Andrew was making like today, so we announced some gaming greats. And those, I think, were mainline as well. And then they announced some some publishing stuff. But what they announced from actual movies was very little. And I understand that next year we're getting Return of the Jedi 40th anniversary. And I understand that there's a precedent there to reuse those figures to put on the cards. And that's fine. It does nothing for me as an opener. I'm not going to buy cards. I might buy one just to have an example like I've done with the previous. Um, so I get that. But I'm more... You know, like it seems like we're really lacking for movie figures. And then with the TV properties, they don't have enough time to really go into it before oh, we got to move on to the next TV project. And so here it is. We're still waiting. You know, he's in the he's in the line. He's coming. But we're still waiting for Miggs Mayfield from season one for Mandalorian, which was what 20 Christmas of 2019. That show came out. It just seems like they don't have enough time to really dig into anything anymore either. Why are they having such a hard time with that? I mean, there's a, there should be enough lead time that they they should be able to to make figures. I mean, when I think back to 2008 when the Clone Wars series came out, they had those figures out before the show came out. This is a Lucasfilm thing. Hasbro has spoken openly about that. Think about Luke on Achtu that everybody wanted from The Force Awakens, except Lucasfilm didn't tell Hasbro that Luke was going to be in the movie at all. And so Hasbro didn't know until we all knew when sitting in the theater 
they got to sit there and see Luke and go, well, crap, we're going to have to make that for sure. And everybody was pounding their fists. Where's Luke? Where's Luke? And it takes 18 to 24 months to go from design to figure. And so I think maybe they didn't know how popular Mando was going to be. And so why would you make MIGs of all the, you know, well, characters it, there? And not just MIGs, but look at how long it took for them to get Grogu out on shelves, right? Like he was the hottest thing ever. And yeah, I, I, I look at it from two different angles. One, yes, it would be nice if we had all that stuff out when the show hit. On the other hand, look how amazing that surprise reveal of Grogu was in that first episode of Mandalorian. And the, I think, I think Lucasfilm has to carefully weigh, you know, how much, I mean, yes, Migs Mayfield, that's not a big reveal. That's not like, Ooh, look, it's Migs Mayfield. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like they're, instead of just picking and choosing what should be revealed early, they're just not revealing anything early. And that makes sense. It's just unfortunate because when I think way back to 1980 and Empire Strikes Back, they released the initial wave, but they held back even on the cards. They didn't show Yoda till uh, three or four months later. And then suddenly you were getting him out and he was on the back of the card. They held that effectively, but there wasn't the internet. I just think that if they were able to find a way to do some of the properties at the time that they're coming out, their their bottom line would be better because you know you're going to be more interested in something as it's coming out than when you watch it and you realize you know what that character is not very interesting. Point uh, some of the Obi Wan figures. I pointed that out to Hasbro in conversation at Comic Con too. I said I miss the excitement of when the movie was out having the figures on the pegs meant as much to me as the trailers you know and speculating about things like hey how did anakin lose his arm you know i perhaps that was a little too much of a spoiler for attack of the clones <laughs> but there was a lot of speculation in my mind oh rick ollie he's going to be important <laughs> <laughs> things like that when I was buying my Phantom Menace figures. And that was just a part of the fun of the new media, you know, back then just the new movies. And now you don't have that, which is a shame, but it does seem like it's a Lucasfilm thing because when I look at other Hasbro lines, they don't have that problem. When I look at, you know, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, there's a lot of secrets around that movie, mm -hmm. but they were still able to get, first of all, a wave of old figures out first to fulfill that demand and then get a wave of figures from that movie, including Ironheart, which I thought would be kind of a spoiler to put out as a figure, be like, I was not expecting Ironheart and Black Panther. And so they at Marvel trusted Hasbro enough to do that. But Lucasfilm seems to be on the verge of paranoid with what they give the Star Wars team. That's my impression based on conversations at Comic-Con and just observing how the lines work against each other. And, and they're both owned by Disney. So it's not a Disney call because they're operating differently. So it definitely, to me, screams that it's Lucasfilm behind the scenes. Maybe. But 
there's also definitely something different between the acquisition of Lucasfilm and the acquisition of Marvel. You look at Lucasfilm merchandise, they all have Disney plastered all over it. Marvel doesn't have Disney plastered all over it. Bob Iger talked about that in his biography, right, Marjorie? Yes, he actually talked about how curating the Marvel characters. He had this big encyclopedia of Marvel characters that he would read. So he became familiar with them. So, and he didn't want to Disney-fy it is how he described it in the book. He didn't want to Disney Marvel. And I think up until recently, they've done a really good job about that. And you're right. The Disney logo isn't all over that. Um, with Lucasfilm, I got the feeling that there is just whatever they wanted to do to recoup their money. Yeah, I believe what you had told me from the book was that Lucasfilm didn't have a culture, whereas Marvel did. And so with Lucasfilm, it was like the Borg, you know, they just assimilated. Whereas with Marvel, it felt like an ownership slash partnership. Well, and, but they read slowly... the Lucasfilm wrong. I think they read the Star Wars franchise wrong in that way. And that there was a lot of deep-seated culture with the characters and the toys and everything. and. I think that they've made some missteps in that because of how they, they read the room wrong there. Have you seen episode nine? They read the room very wrong. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd like to add that Bob Iger was very, very personally hurt because George Lucas did not like, was it episode seven? Yeah, they didn't. He gave them a bunch of ideas. And I think Lucas said that they really didn't use any of them. And that kind of mm -hmm. hurt him. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it was just, he didn't like the finished product either. So. Bob Bagger was very sad about that. He can cry in his billions of dollars. <laughs> so, yes, uh, the what you say is very true about the Disney logo. I noticed that as soon as the acquisition happened. And yet Lucasfilm retains their own publicity departments, retains their own merchandising departments and things like that. So. Uh, they are very much still their own company making these choices. And I think, yeah, it, we can complain about it, but it's not Hasbro's fault. And I feel like there's a pile on, on Hasbro. I, I wonder if the pandemic was a mistake for Hasbro, because, you know, I would go to these cons and talk to the people and bring them on the show and have Daryl or Patrick or whoever was running the line. But it felt like just the hardcore people would be able to name those names. But now with all of their live streams and everything, they're really putting themselves out there as personalities, which has led to what I believe to be a slew of unfair personal attacks against yeah. them. I feel so bad for the hasbro star wars team because memes are made and insults are thrown and blame is placed where these are mostly you know marketing and designers who are coming out there they're not the sole masterminds behind everything there's a team there and there's a corporate structure there but there's a pile on and i wonder if when it changed from Hasbro put out a press release to Patrick is talking about Patrick and Chris are talking about the newest few figures. If that has led to a negative perception 
among collectors that is completely unwarranted and fueled by Facebook algorithms, but still there nonetheless. Yeah, everybody seems to be an expert in the toy business nowadays, right? Like, I, I can't tell you how many comments I see online where people are like, oh, this is just a cash grab by Hasbro. And I'm thinking, guess what, folks? Hasbro is a company. Everything they do is a cash grab. Everything they do is designed to get in your wallet. Like, I don't I mean, what, what's the opposite of that is like they're doing charity work and making figures for your pleasure. I don't it just it, it confuses me that some of the entitlement that some of these people post online. And I was going to add that, you know, just to give this person some perspective, it's not just the Hasbro Star Wars brand team that gets this kind of treatment. By far, they get the worst of it. But it's not the only team. People are attacking the G.I. Joe team. They're attacking the Marvel Legends team. I've seen it, the Power Rangers team. They're attacking all of these teams. But I think Star Wars, the Star Wars team gets the worst of it by far. And I think that is a result of these people are now front and center on these live streams. Whereas before, unless you were paying your money and going to a con and covering that con, you weren't getting access to these people and you didn't know who they were. It just, it puts a face to it, which in theory should be a good thing, you know, from marketing to have a face on your brand is always a good thing. I, I'm going to say something very controversial, especially among a group of collectors. And so I look forward to you guys attacking me before anybody online can. I'm going to say it. Collectors are never happy. <laughs> oh, that's completely that's true. true. So that's, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely true. You <laughs> nailed it. But that's not just collectors. I think, you know, as the uh, psychologist of the group, I think that's human nature. We always want something. And when we get it, it's not what we wanted anymore. We always want something different. We always focus on how it could have be, how it could be better. I mean, even when we go to see movies we like, we always focus on how could we have done it differently? How would it, how could we have improved it? Well, we're, none of us are out there making movies. But as far as the brand team, the, and I noticed this the last live stream they did, that, that kind of got me, and maybe I'll get some heat for this. They don't, they seem like they pretend they're fans, but I don't get the impression that they're really fans, like, we are fans and they they do and they try to project themselves i posted in the group that one of the things that was driving me crazy during the last live stream is they kept using the word iconic for things that they're not iconic in fact we, we've seen it maybe passing on one episode and we don't even know who this character is yet so stop <laughs> saying it's iconic it drove me nuts i think that a lot of that comes from not everyone is comfortable in front of a camera because in person, you totally get a different vibe from the Star Wars team. And I think that maybe, you know, we all had to change over the last two years as far as what we're comfortable with. I mean, being on camera, you know, doing work from home and doing lots of Zooms. And they've had to go in front of all these people that they were before faceless in front of for the most part. And, you know, these are marketing guys, toy designers, that kind of stuff. And I just don't think that, that medium might be their, the perfect way to get their enthusiasm like you do in person, if that makes sense. Future job requirements are going to also require you to be an established influencer before you can join the, you know, any sort of marketing team. Because, I mean, in all in all seriousness, like in this day and age, you have to be good on camera in order to to do that job well, because it's uh, it's expected 
Chris Reif has been working on Star Wars for as long as I've been covering it as an artist. Now, if he comes off as not a Star Wars fan or not Star Wars knowledgeable, that has to 100% be camera shyness. And again, because he's an artist, how many people look up who did the cover of this book or who illustrated this visual guide? I don't think a whole lot of people do. I didn't until I got a chance to start interviewing these people. And I've talked to Chris a number of times and he knows everything inside and out. And when he started becoming a Star Wars toy designer, I couldn't imagine a better fit. And the others, they do seem more knowledgeable when they're less scripted. If the, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like they have a script, they hew to it. Maybe whoever wrote that script put the word iconic in it a little too much. But it's, I, I feel when they're less prepared, they come off so much more like fans than they do when they're just talking about what's there and you know different teams i think some are better some are worse i just watched that 1027 bit and not every team is great at what they do as far as coming mm -hmm. off as fans <laughs> and some are but it's I, I felt bad for the ones doing the Ghostbusters Proton Pack presentation because it just felt so scripted mm -hmm. and so overdone that I wouldn't know that they were really fans of Ghostbusters. And maybe they weren't. I don't know. It, I'm kind of hoping they are. But then you get somebody like the Marvel team who get out there and kind of don't give an F and just are sitting back and they'll happily say, I don't know this character, but you guys wanted him. So here's this character. <laughs> <laughs> but that also kind of speaks to an issue that I've been feeling with all of this across all of Hasbro is overexposure of these teams. You know, I think that's kind of what we're talking about is used to be, we would have access to these teams two, maybe three times a year at in-person events. And now it seems like every month they're on our screens and you know, I, I don't envy them because they have to they have to work up the excitement and get people geeked up about all these different things. And it it makes it a lot to keep track of, for one. And two, it just makes it so there's a target on you every time you show up on the screen because, oh, that wasn't a very good reveal. I was expecting this, this and this. And it's like, well, maybe if we just drop back and maybe only had these guys on quarterly even would maybe make it a little more special. I hope I'm not I, I telling think... tales out of school here. But at Comic-Con, I was talking to a couple guys on the Marvel team, Ryan and Dan, who've done a lot of the live streams. And I forget which one of it said to me, but they're like, the amount of vitriol that we've gotten in person at Comic-Con is unlike anything we've ever gotten in person ever before. And I think I said to them, it's because people are becoming more comfortable with you and they know your face, you're in their home. And so now they're feeling like what they type online is something they can now say to your face. And mm -hmm. it was just yeah. something that had taken them aback. I was talking to them just on preview night and it was like they had, they were used to being anonymous in the booth. And so when people would talk to them, they didn't know who these people were or what role they played at Hasbro, but now people are beelining to them because they are the guy. But I think mm -hmm. a lot of that is stoked by, and you know, there's some really great Facebook groups and then there's some that are really crappy because there is a mob mentality 
every time that Hasbro does any kind of presentation or live stream or anything, I mean, people are getting their pitchforks out the minute they see that one's going to happen. And I think that that emboldens people to jump on the bandwagon and, and then not being able to separate, hey, that's actually a real person that's doing that and not be able to differentiate that when you see them in person. It's not proper to the same vitriol you type online to say to their face and well, i i blame it's, it's a lot not of, proper to type that online either <laughs> no it's not but i mean i i blame a lot of the facebook groups because i believe some of these facebook groups were just created so they can have a freaking pitchfork and go after them what i what i've seen is um is you attacking these people personally right and that's where I have a problem. You want to you want to talk about what they're revealing, and you don't like what's being done, or you would rather something else. That's fine. But when you make it personal, and you're going after the person personally, that's where that's where people need to realize you're crossing a line. And these are real people, and they're doing a job. Like if I had to be excited about my job on camera, I don't know if I could do it. And the other thing I wanted to point out is is that. Uh, Patrick, I, I want to give Patrick some props because he gets a lot of crap, right? And he's not necessarily my cup of tea when stuff is scripted with the Star Wars, but man, he nailed that Indiana Jones presentation. He was super excited about it. Like you could tell, like it came, his authenticity came through there in a way that I haven't experienced with Star Wars. And that was refreshing to me. Yeah, I, I can fully agree with you there, Chris. It's, you know, anybody and everybody, if you have to get there and promote your job, you know, a couple times a year. I don't know that I could muster up that type of enthusiasm, but yeah, I mean, it's funny because I've seen people online posting about this most recent 1027 event, you know, talking about Steve Evans, like, who is this Brit and why is he on? It's like, come on, guys, if you don't know who he is, then maybe like just calm down because Steve Evans is one, a great guy, a great communicator for all of the brands that he's ever been on. So, you know, like maybe don't show your ignorance by by talking out of line but i guess where would we be if that wasn't what happens on facebook groups you know oh and, and emily who is co-hosting with him she gets so much crap from people online too and i i realize she's not part of the star wars team but she gets a lot of crap there and and some of the places on on facebook and and some of the groups too and she's a great person one of the things and this is older news kind of but one of the things that i saw where that mob mentality marjorie was talking about really kicks in was with the rancor where it almost became like saying i am spartacus to say i canceled my order i'm wondering what you guys think about the next HasLab? When do you think it'll come? What do you think it should be? What line should it be? Should they even try Black Series again? Because technically they have two Black Series failures in a row between that lightsaber that they did for the Obi-Wan series and then the Rancor. Although I have my sneaking suspicions that lightsaber was forced upon them by Lucasfilm. I think that they didn't no stretch goals unlike anything they'd ever done before 
I have a feeling somebody at Lucasfilm was pushing them to make that. They're like, it's too expensive. It'll cost $500. And the compromise was let's HasLab it and see if people will pay $500. And I, I don't know what metrics they use to determine what the next HasLab should be or not. But like one thing that I know for certain should not be taken into account is role play, role play items should not be counted towards Black Series. You know what I'm saying? That's not an indictment of the Black Series lineup of six-inch figures that that lightsaber didn't back. Yeah, that's what they get for branding everything Black Series. Right. I think HasLab is kind of a, a very slippery slope for them. I mean, when we look at them, they've had some amazing successes looking at the Razor Crest and that, even though I don't collect the line, the Hiss Tank from G.I. Joe that was really, really insanely successful. But... I think on some of these HasLabs, the price still seems to put it out of reach of a lot of people. And that kind of makes people upset. Um, I know that even when they made that Jabba's throne room, which I'm convinced was probably destined to be a HasLab at one point or another in the uh, planning stages, that, that hurt to order. I mean, I want it. I'm going to get it. But that hurt. Here's what's funny. If that had been a HasLab, I'd probably have ordered two. <laughs> but it wasn't a HasLab. So I was like, just one saved me a lot of money. Yeah, that's one. I actually did pre-order and then canceled it um, after after looking at what you were getting for the money. I, I don't think it was egregiously overpriced like some of the things have been, but when I looked at what I was getting, it felt like there was a lot of little tchotchke stuff that was trying to make me feel like there was a lot of value there. And then when I was trying to see if it would fit on a shelf, I don't think it was gonna fit where I currently have my Java display. So with those couple of things, I decided to back off of it. Plus, you know, being in some of these other lines that I'm in, I have to be really, picky about what I'm getting, what I'm backing. Um, but I think that the HasLab thing, I think you're right, Jonathan. I think it is a slippery slope and it's, it's going to be interesting. I think people are starting to feel things in the pocketbook. Like Andrew had said earlier in the show, everything costs more. And so I think people are feeling that and people are, are maybe getting a little upset that they're starting to have to choose where they're going to put their money rather than being able to get it all like they used to. Um, as far as what they should do next, it's tough to say. I, I you know, I, I keep saying I want a vintage, you know, modular Death Star playset, but I think that the cost on that is going to be absolutely ridiculous um, because of, of what they would have to do. I'd like to see them maybe do some figures in Black Series or something like that, that or, or even Vintage Collection that they just can't put out any other way because they won't sell. Do like a five pack and you could do it for, you know, what a figure is 25 bucks a piece. So you could do it for 150 and, and maybe try something like that. I just feel that once again, to go back to the collectors are never happy, what Fiverr picked would become so divisive and you didn't pick the one I wanted that it would, you know, it's like the Rancor. It's it, it, a negative connotation towards one of those things can become a whirlpool of declining backers where what five figures would make everybody happy. You know what I'm saying with that? So I agree with you. I'd love to see some of the more esoteric figures. I'd love for this to be a way for new tooling to get into the line with things that they couldn't do 
mainline, but I, I just also see it as a bit of a landmine on how they'd pick what they put. Do you really think they can afford another fail in the Star Wars line in HasLab? Even I know the two were, I mean, one was Black Series, one was a role play item, but you know, they put a significant amount of money into those Haslabs before they become Haslabs. We know that the design, the planning, you know, the marketing, and there is no return on that. Do you really think that they're going to keep doing that? I mean, I haven't looked. I know they're doing a Ghost Rider in the Marvel. Has that even funded? No, in fact, it's it's bleeding people like the Rancor did. And that kind of interesting, you know, to, if you tie that into the Haslabs, I mean, Cookie Monster, yeah, I kind of see that failing. It's mm-hmm. kind of a weird passion project maybe for somebody. But I think with some big um, pro, high profile failures between the Rancor and Ghost Rider, I think that maybe it's time to circle back and talk about what what are they going to do? I mean, because that's their two biggest licenses and they're going to have some failures, which these should be slam dunk because these are for the fans, something that would be a dream project. And I think that they're missing the mark on a few things and maybe they need to regroup. And look, I know the um, GI Joe one like funded like crazy, like in a few days, didn't it? But it, it was funded in the first day. Yeah. Isn't it like a vintage thing though, too? It, well, it's based to his tank. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's something people probably want. Whereas, you know, Ghost Rider's car from the new series. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that maybe they need to probably regroup and take a look at what makes a Haslab successful and what do people want instead of what they think people want. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say is my gut tells me that in today's market, that would be vehicles for these lines because we're just not getting vehicles for these figures in any scale on the shelf anymore. So maybe that's where, you know, pre-backing or even just kind of looking at it as a pre-order so they know how many units to make instead of putting a whole bunch of TIE fighters at $150 out on the shelf and then waiting for them to go on clearance, it would make Mm -hmm. more sense. But with this Ghost Rider vehicle not funding, it kind of brings up questions, but then you look at, like everybody said, the G.I. Joe His Tank, and that was super successful. Like, I, I wonder how they weigh that out, because I would like some Black Series vehicles. They could do Jedi Starfighters. They could do an OT TIE Fighter in that scale and just kind of treat it as a pre-order. It's like we need 10,000 people who want to do this, so it makes sense to invest in the tooling. There you go. You know, one vehicle that would go crazy, I like the idea of vehicles, Justin, but an original trilogy x-wing in the six inch scale with the kind of detail i mean it would be huge but i think a lot of people would go Mm. for that i think a lot of people would say there isn't the shelf space because think about the wingspan you can't put that in a bookcase but why don't they do it like they did the razor crest where you can remove half of the half of the engine or you, know, you could remove one set of wings and one set of engines so you can put it, you know, put it, display it, and then reconnect it when you want to do something else with it. I mean, again, this is, it would be a specialty item and it wouldn't be for anyone, but HasLab isn't supposed to be for everyone, at least as I, as I took it, and it wouldn't take up any more space than the barge I have down in my collection room. Mm. 
So a, a couple of things come to mind with, with this discussion. One is the, the first order TIE fighter that they did for Black Series. Uh, and people were grousing about how expensive and ridiculously big that was when they did that. Um, granted, right? First order TIE fighter versus Imperial TIE fighter or OT X-Wing, two completely different um, groups of people that would want those. Um, I think one of the big issues that they have with these has labs is the add-ons, right? Like people are interested, we're interested in the rancor. And then they saw the add-ons that you would get at the different stretch goals. And that's when people started backing off because we were getting a cardboard backdrop and some rocks, right? Like I, that, I think like, what would you do with an X-Wing? Would you do another X-Wing pilot? You could do a ground crew. You could do uh, a crane for the R2 unit. You could. Is it, and yep. And but going back to Arnie's point, collectors are never going to be happy. And I think that that's the trend that's starting to happen is people are seeing these add on items and they're not what they want, whether it's what the majority of people want or not. Everybody's saying, oh, well, I don't want that add on item. That's not what I wanted as an add on. So I'm going to I'm going to you know cancel my my backing on it. I, that's what happened with the Rancor anyway. And I don't, I mean, the lightsaber, I don't think, I mean, I think that the idea behind the lightsaber was they saw the success with the proton pack and they yeah. wanted to emulate something like that with role play in Star Wars. And there just isn't anything really like that unless you did like a, a Boba Fett backpack or something with an actual firing rocket. <laughs> um, but I, I they have had some missteps and I think they do have to be careful. But I think we also, have to be careful as fans and consumers of Hasbro and HasLab to set our expectations in an appropriate place. I, I think that one of the problems is, is that I think that they need to look at the base thing that they're offering. That has to be able to sell that the HasLab by itself. And that's what the His Tank did, right? those unlocks weren't known until later on. And I know that, uh, you know, like the new transformers one that just launched a couple of days ago, they've, they've already told everybody what the unlocks will be, but the base item has to excite and has to get everybody on board. If everybody's wondering about tiers and added value and all that stuff, that's where the slippery slope starts. And we've seen that with the rancor. We're seeing that with the engine event engine of vengeance. Wait a minute, that Transformers one that just went up, though, how much was that? 179 Which is far cry different than the other ones. Absolutely. It's the same price as the one they did last year because they're companion pieces. It's also a lot smaller than the stuff that we're talking about, too, though, right? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is that space, you know, I think space is a premium for, for a lot of collectors, especially collectors of our age group, right? We've been collecting for a long time and you need to be able to have space for this stuff. The nice thing with the His Tank was they made it a point to say, look, it will fit on your shelf. You know, I love my sail barge, but I can't move it anywhere. It Where, where it is is where it is. And I knew that going into getting it, that it was going to go in one place and that was it. I have nowhere to move it but it takes up a huge chunk of real estate. Would you want a really big Death Star playset, given what's being talked about with space constraints? Would I want it? Absolutely. Could I manage it? Um, I'd have to ask permission. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, 
it, it would depend on how expensive it is. I, I like the idea of it being modular to so you could do different scenes. Would I want it to be necessarily huge? No, I just need certain things captured so I could kind of put it together so you know oh, this is this is the Death Star. I'm just not sure how they how to do that. And you could even like you could even maybe combine Death Star one and two so you could have like the Emperor's throne room up top or something and then have, you know, down below you could have the um, where, where they're all meeting around the round table in the original one just to kind of kill two birds with one stone. You definitely aren't going to be putting that thing out twice. So kind of like the old Lego one. Yes. Yeah, they can make it like a five-tier bookshelf where each layer is just a different section of the Death Star. Shared exclusive with Ikea? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I want the Star Wars HasLab that comes with an Allen wrench, please. <laughs> that's an unlockable tier <laughs> so, so are directions that you can read <laughs> i feel like we've had a good discussion here i feel like there's a few bumps in the road with the hasbro collecting that i don't think anybody doesn't know who's been watching the live streams i know the hasbro team knows pretty much what we've said but to kind of end on a high note i'd like to kind of just go around and have you guys say something that's really excited you recently about Star Wars collecting. Um, uh, yeah, we've had a conversation that does feel like we dipped into the negative quite a bit. But personally, I still have a fire for collecting. I still enjoy the fact that we're getting a, a nice assortment in the vintage collection. And you have to realize that there's so much more media now that they have to try to cover than there was just 15 years ago when it was six movies. You know, now there's nine movies and 15 shows and all this other stuff. So I can understand that it doesn't feel as focused, which is just part of the game now. But as far as the quality of the product, I've been very impressed with a lot of the Black Series. You know, I mean, to me, that's where my real excitement is, because every time they come out with a figure, for the most part, it's new. You know, vintage three and three quarter inch figures. We've been collecting those for 40 years now, and I feel like been there and done that a lot of times so i still pick those up just not as excited about them as i am with the black series but one thing that i have been getting really into is the black series helmets i think those things are pretty cool and they're very very accurate for the price point i mean between 100 and 140 dollars for these things the the latest darth vader one that just came out i gotta tell you i've never owned a master replicas but having this thing on my shelf you wouldn't know. I mean, it's it's very accurate. Yeah, Andrew has it right there. It's awesome. And they just announced a phase one clone trooper, which that's awoken the customizer in me again. It's like, that's where I started customizing was on blank canvas white troopers. I'm going to get a bunch of these helmets and just start making my own clone trooper factions. So that's- Did they announced phase one or phase two? Phase two. Phase two. Yeah, okay. Yep. You said phase one, which got oh, me sorry. excited. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, phase two. And I'm sure phase one will be coming too. But yeah, starting with the phase two ones is awesome because that's my favorite design of clones. So yeah, I mean, for me, there's still excitement in this line. It's it's just a matter of finding a focus and sticking with it. I agree with you on that helmet. I'm a phase one clone guy. I think I'm in the minority that I actually like the phase one better than the yeah. phase two. I don't think you're going to need to do much customizing though, Justin. I have a feeling 
they love to repaint the helmets the same way they love to repaint the figures. We're going to be getting what a green and a bly and yeah. every possible repaint of the helmet. Although the green <laughs> would have so many paint apps, that would be incredible. That, that's the one I'm thinking that I might have to make. The the line that I originally didn't think I was going to enjoy as much as I do, but I really enjoy it, is the retro line for the vintage. You know, it's kind of a subset of the vintage collection, kind of bringing back those, you know, those figures that we all had when we were, I had when I was young, but then adding to them. And some of these figures that they've had for like the, the Darth Vader from the Obi-Wan set is just, it's incredible. And it's really... I. I love that figure. I bought an extra one just to keep in my office at work because I just enjoy that figure so much. And it's not obviously not as articulated, but it it hits me where my collecting sweet spot is, which is kind of connecting to my youth. So I really hope they keep that line up. I hope they don't like overdo it, but I would I mean, I enjoy that line especially. I do like how they took the technology and the mindset of, okay, after we did a man, a man and several of those power of the force one figures, if we were to do Mandalorian back then, where would it be mm -hmm. as compared to let's try to replicate what was happening in 78. They go a little bit further with it. It feels more 83, 84. Yeah. Yeah. That, that Obi-Wan retro Vader is a perfect example of that where it's like throughout the entire vintage line, we just get, kept getting that same Vader. They never updated him, but this Kenobi version one is, I feel like what we would have got in 85 had they revisited that character. Mm -hmm. And we, we all wanted him to be able to hold his own lightsaber as kids. I know we did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but... I always preferred the arm slides. It made me so mad that Bespin Luke came with a, sword that you put in his hand instead of an arm slide wow. that i i felt like that it felt like a bootleg toy to me that it didn't have the arm slide <laughs> you knew what bootleg toys were back then wow yeah because every so often my mom would buy me a gobot instead of a transformer <laughs> <laughs> that's our bootleg <laughs> yeah i'll i'll kind of echo basically what both jonathan and uh, Justin said that I'm still really excited about all the lines. I have, I have a problem. It's like, I've, I've, I've ditched hot toys, but now I'm just like gaga over everything that Hasbro's putting out. Um, the, the retro line is really great. Uh, the, the helmets like that Darth Vader helmet. I, I was on the fence on whether or not I would get it. And then I thought about how much my son would enjoy putting it on. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to buy it. Uh, and, my son didn't disappoint. His enthusiasm was was accurate to my uh, my prediction. Uh, but the one thing that I continually get excited for are and it's kind of niche, but it's it's the uh, the gaming greats collection that Hasbro is doing in the Black Series. Uh, one of my subset focuses uh, has always been uh, video game collecting for star Wars. And so when they come out with like today, they announced the black series Bastila and I'm super excited about that. And the Malik with the removable face mask, like that's the kind of stuff that, that I get excited about. I know a lot of people are disappointed that we aren't getting the, the movie figures as much. 
because it fits perfectly into my uh, collecting. Uh, those gaming greats figures, I think, are, are outstanding. And I get really excited when they come up with new ones. You know, I'm, I'm going to kind of repeat what Jonathan said, because for me, it's been the retro collection and, and specifically what they've done with Mandalorian season, you know, the, the first series and then series two and then Obi-Wan. I really kind of hope we, we see that. I hope they use it sparingly. I don't want them to overdo it, but that's been what's exciting for me. And I originally, if we go back and listen to some of the shows where we talked about the retro figures coming out, I was not on board with that, but uh, I've come around um, and I'm really enjoying collecting those. And I really kind of like it, it brings me back to, to when I was a kid. Um, and then I touched on like I think TVC has been hitting uh, a lot, uh, a lot of the marks for me with what they're putting out and what they're doing. I do think that today they announced they're re-releasing some uh, of the Jabba's Palace stuff for 40th anniversary. I think that's a smart move. And I think that when they do stuff like that, those kinds of repacks and repaints are, are awesome to get them back out there for people who need them to, to build scenes. A couple of those figures are stupid, crazy money on the secondary market. Um, so, I mean, I like, I like what's going on there. I think that the reason we get a little bit um, negative or, or, or we get a little bit like, um, you know, uh, poo-pooing on things a little bit is because we're passionate about Star Wars. You know, we've been in this for a long time. We're passionate about those movies. And so at our core, you know, we, that passion comes out and sometimes it might not come out in the, in, in the best way or the most positive way, but that passion is what's driving us all. I couldn't agree with you more. And yeah, I'd like to just challenge our listenership to, and myself and everybody on this call, you know, I, I forget whose slogan this is, but be better. You know, just try to rise above the fray and give constructive feedback. But something I'm happy about, I got to say, is that the Vintage Collection, which is the heart and soul of my collecting is three and three quarter, is getting some more love. We talked about it earlier. It really feels like that line. There's getting new sculpts. They're getting some long needed figures out there with the Bespin guards. Those got me very excited and I just got those in the mail, the ones that I was able to order and very excited about that. I'm happy they're still sticking to the goal of finishing off the original run in the modern vintage collection line. So, and those were just a couple of figures that getting in my hand added to that feel. I still feel excited when I get new Star Wars toys in the mail, which means I'm excited more days than not <laughs> provided they weren't sat on by an elephant that provides its own entertainment for us though <laughs> <laughs> collecting roulette <laughs> all right well guys thank you very much for joining us on this show it has been a blast to talk star wars collecting with you and i hope to have you back on soon thanks arnie thanks arnie, thanks, arnie. always a good time Thanks, Marjorie. Thank you, Andrew. (laughs) 
Thanks again to everybody for coming together and having a good conversation. That was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. certainly is. Now, before we go, our friends at Entertainment Earth have sent us a product for to review. It is Gentle Giant's Luke Dreamer statue in the one-seventh scale. And I picked this item to review because I know, Marjorie, this is one of your absolute favorite scenes from the whole saga. It is. I think the music that goes with it is some of the best arrangement in any of the movies. And... When I was little, oh, I used to kiss the book a lot, but you the know, Star Wars storybook, storybook, yeah. So this is one of my favorite scenes in the book. It's just such an iconic picture. It is, and recreated here by Gentle Giant. It's got a smallish base that just kind of represents the Tatooine land, just around Luke with his one leg up, as it was like mid stair step. And it's got a moisture evaporator or some other moisture farming equipment right next to him. That wasn't there in the movie, though. The moisture evaporator was not next to him in the movie, but that's okay. It goes with Tatooine, and I think that's one of the things you'd expect to find around their homestead. Yeah, I suppose many times Luke looked off into the distance with macro binoculars, not just the one. Actually, this may be more reminiscent of him scanning the desert for R2 than him staring at the Twin Suns, but I think of the Twin Suns because it is called the Dreamer statue. Yes, and that is definitely a Dreamer scene where he wishes his life was more. But he didn't have the macro binoculars at that point either. No, they were on his belt. Exactly. As for the statue itself, like I say, the base is rather small. The moisture evaporator gives it a little bit of detail, something to make it not just a plain sandstone looking base. Otherwise, I'd probably complain that that was a little bit too plain of a base, especially at the size it is. You don't want a huge base that's much bigger than the figure. But when you're dealing with a one-seventh scale figure, it's not that big. So the base, it has a really small footprint. Yeah, but I think the moisture evaporator goes because you're right, it would be very plain without it. And I think it just gives it enough to not be just him standing on a rock, which would be kind of boring. And this is just two pieces, very easy to put together. The base is one piece. The moisture evaporator is, I think, glued onto it. It doesn't look like it's molded of the same piece. But then the Luke statue himself is also just one piece. So you don't have to worry about the assembly of arms and getting the head in the peg and all of that. No, but I will tell you I'm worried about the fingers that are on his thigh because they are raised above the thigh and fingers on statues are very, very delicate. And I just... I'm already nervous about it, and I'm worried that his fingers are going to break off. Fortunately, they're not sticking out like, you know, Obi-Wan doing his little posing. It's on the thigh. You'd have to work fairly hard to get those as compared to something sticking out that would be easily caught by a shirt or something. Not really. Someone bump into that in the right spot, and those are going to shatter. I really like the wash they put on Luke's outfit, especially his tunic. These days, with some of Hasbro's figures lacking in the multiple paint apps, I can really come to appreciate a good wash that makes it look lived in. You know, Star Wars was always the lived in universe. I just like the way it looks a little bit dirty. Well, if you had a pure white tunic on there anyway, age in the elements would age it for you. And they did a good job with the black of the belt, the little silver rivets on it, the black and silver on the macro binoculars. No, I, I think it looks really good. I think they did a good job. They painted the hair really well. I think that absence 
of real hair. They've made it. It's more more brown than I think Mark Hamill's hair was, but I think it looks good and has the dimension that it needs. Yeah, for some reason, it feels like the color of Empire Strikes Back hair more than a New Hope hair, which in my mind was a bit more blonde. Yeah, he's got some highlights in this. Now, if I have one nitpick, it's the face from certain angles it looks like Mark Hamill, and straight on, I don't think it does. What was the price point on this? $150. I do not expect it to look exactly like Mark Hamill, and I think it looks reminiscent of Mark Hamill just enough for that price point. I'm not going to get nitty gritty for $150. It's nicely weighted for your $150. It's a substantial, it's heavier than I thought it would be, if that makes sense, but I'm okay with the likeness being reminiscent. Yeah, I like, I talked to somebody at General Giant about this years ago, about how collectors like a heft to their item. It makes them feel like they're really getting what they paid for, whereas it could look exactly the same, but if it was hollow and light, people think that it's cheap and they're not getting it. That's correct. And this does have the heft to it. And you're right, compared to what Sideshow Premium Formats cost at a much larger scale, this price is even just in line with what Iron Studios charges for a one-tenth scale, now that they're getting into the Star Wars biz. So... Who's got the 132nd scale statues? That sounds like gamer pieces. <laughs> now, this statue is a limited edition of only 3,000 pieces. So, as might be expected, it is sold out now at Entertainment Earth. But we thank them very much for this product to review. And while you can't get this statue there, there is quite a bit of Star Wars stuff you can pre-order there, especially in the Hasbro line. I legitimately, I'm not saying this because they sent me a statue, I legitimately order there a ton. You do. Yes. We have lots of Entertainment Earth boxes. And my latest order from them, the pre-order that they have is the Black Series Holiday Edition Protocol Droid, where you get C-3PO all dressed up in, you may not recognize him with his red chest, arms, and legs, and then a green sensor dish in the middle. He kind of looks like albino 3PO, though. Well, you know, there's K-3PO and whatnot. Is that an albino droid? It's the white protocol droid from Hoth. That wasn't white like that. No, this does look very shiny white. Yeah. Marjorie, you and I have kind of differing opinions when it comes to the holiday repaints that Hasbro's been doing. I find them fun while on the verge of being overdone. Usually I am one for kitsch. I love kitsch. You know I love that. I do not like these. I think that they're overdone. And I'm sorry, you know, the Hasbro people are awesome and this just doesn't do it for me. I just, I don't know what it is, but I've never been a fan of the holiday items. You had to love the holiday porgs, though, when they were all painted white and everything. That well, were they were included. cute. However, it can quickly get overdone. It can. And it may have. And currently, this says it's going to ship in December, though. So hopefully we do have it in time for the holidays. Unlike another pre-order I have there, the Black Series Wookiee Halloween Edition, because Halloween is past and this is also supposed to ship in December. Well, I guess you've got it for next year when you celebrate your werewolf bar mitzvah. And now everyone has that in their head, too. This Halloween wave, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not quite sure what I'm looking at. I mean, I get it's sort of a Wookiee. It's sort of a werewolf. I guess it's a Wookwolf. What's he wearing? That. Why is he wearing clothes? That. I mean. Are we getting modest all of a sudden with the Wookiees? Keep in mind, the Wookiees on Kashyyyk wore various outfits, and I'm pretty sure they didn't sculpt this just for 
for the holiday figure. He looks like he's on Planet of the Apes or something. Like the old-timey movie. Maybe it's a Wookiee cosplaying for Halloween and that's why he has a trick-or-treat basket. Did he go to McDonald's to get that bucket? It's like the McDonald's bucket. (laughs) (laughs) But those figures and many others available for pre-order at Entertainment Earth. I'll be honest, Entertainment Earth is a great place to find like little tchotchkes and stuff. They've got all kinds of stuff. If you just like spend some time scrolling through whatever license you want, you can usually walk away with buying a few things. They've got just things that are like so under the radar. Yeah, they've got all the stuff that you're used to looking for. And then they have a lot of licensees that they get. Mm -hmm. I think it's because they also have a wholesale division. So they get weird stuff and they get like the younger kid action figures. If you're like me and still buy those and you don't want to go to Ollie's, you can order them from Entertainment Earth and the five POA type stuff. But that is our show for this week. This is a little bit of priming the pump on Star Wars action news because we've gone 17 years and never missed a holiday gift guide and sale episode. And that will be our next one coming out on our 18th time doing it on Thanksgiving. Yes, and the sales have dwindled, so we'll see what we can find this year. The sales have dwindled, but it's become more fun as a holiday gift guide. I don't know, I really have to dig sometimes (laughs) than I usually end up buying stuff for myself, though. Instead of just us prattling off, Meyer opens at 5 a.m. and has $3 off lightsabers. Yeah, no one's giving $3 off this year. (laughs) (laughs) So until next time, may the pegs be stopped and the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. Star Wars and all of the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2022. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Podcasting.